like for you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Isaiah chapter 6. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, you know this one quite well. This is what is termed as the call of Isaiah. When God called Isaiah to go and be a prophet to his people. <clears throat> so if you will find that in your Bibles, we'll be reading from there in just a moment. But let me begin by saying that we live in a world where there is much uncertainty. 20th anniversary of 9-11 has reminded us of that, of course. But we really don't have to reach back very far in history this past year. COVID-19, the pandemic, has reminded us of that. This past month, the sudden collapse of Afghanistan also has reminded us of that. Every day, it seems that we are reminded that we live in a most volatile world, a rapidly changing world, a world full of trials and transitions, of changes and unexpected challenges, a world of instability and uncertainty. And what I've noticed through life, and I'm sure you have as well, is that uncertainty makes people anxious. It makes them fearful. In times of uncertainty, more than anything else, people need reassurance. And they long for something solid to hold on to. They desire direction. They long for answers. They yearn for stability. They need hope. And thus, many will begin to seek after God. Maybe for, for the first time ever, maybe for the first time in a long time. In fact, if you'll recall, those of you that were around back then, 20 years ago, that immediately following 9-11, people came to church. They gathered at prayer meetings. They showed up on Sunday morning. Unfortunately, it didn't last long. But those things happen in times of uncertainty. God uses our times of uncertainty. He uses our times of trouble, our times of anxiety to get our attention and to draw our focus to Him. Now we know everyone faces times of uncertainty. Sometimes God's servants, God's people face times of seeming uncertainty. And it was such a time for Isaiah as recorded in the sixth chapter of that book that bears his name. So I invite you to read there with me. In Isaiah 6, and I'm going to begin with verse 1, and we're just going to read down to verse 8. Again, a very familiar passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, 
and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Now the year here when this incident occurred was approximately 740 B.C. The nation's long-reigning monarch, King Uzziah, had died. In fact, it, it, he had been on the throne 52 years, quite a tenure. It was a time of uncertainty for the people, a time of vulnerability. People were wondering, well, what's going to happen now? Are we going to make it? How are we going to go forward from here? What does the future hold for us? Notice that Isaiah's first inclination was to go to the temple. 20 years ago, when those planes piloted by terrorists flew into the World Trade Center and those twin towers collapsed, you know the first thing that came to my mind in that moment was Psalm 11, 3 and 4. Where it says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. And that verse just came to me in that moment. I remember it so vividly. Isaiah would have known this verse. It was part of his Bible. And, and I wonder, would this have been on his mind? Would, he have come, would this verse have come to his remembrance at the moment he heard about the king's death? You know, in a time of uncertainty, we need to know how to respond. And I want us today to look and see from Isaiah an example from how we can respond to a time of uncertainty. First of all, I point out to you that in a time of uncertainty, we must have, first and foremost, we must have a worshiping heart. There's no way around it. We've got to have a worshiping heart. Again, in verse six, in the year that, or chapter six, verse one, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to one another, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory." You know, a worshiping heart is so essential because a worshiping heart understands the priority of worship. A worshiping heart understands the necessity of experiencing God. A worshiping heart consistently seeks an encounter with God. Isaiah was a seeker on that day long ago when he entered the temple. He was seeking God's wisdom. He was seeking God's peace. He was seeking God's answers. He was seeking after God's comfort. Perhaps not unlike many of us here today. Consider again Isaiah's experience. He went first to the place of worship. The place of worship. You know, if we want God to work in our lives, we've got to position ourselves for God to work. If we're serious about seeking Him, we're going to go where God is. We'll go where His presence is most readily found. We'll go to where others are gathered also to seek Him. We'll go where that we can collectively join together in lifting Him up. We'll join with others who are exalting His name. One of the most important but often disobeyed commands in the New Testament is that which is found in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, where it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. Can you believe back in the first century, even in the 
early days of the early church, even then there were some people that decided to stop showing up for church. <laughs> but see, God wants his people, his body, to gather regularly, to gather frequently, so as to collectively experience him. Why is that so important? God says that by doing that, we encourage one another. We help to revive and renew and refresh one another. So we go to the place of worship, not as a drudgery, not out of some sense of obligation, but rather with a sense of passion, with a desire, a hunger, a longing of the heart, an anticipated joy. Do you remember the psalmist, Psalm 122, 1? He says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's what God wants. So Isaiah went to the house of worship, but he's here, all oh, more importantly, he sought the person of worship. The Lord, the one who is the object of all authentic worship. The only one who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. Isaiah came into the temple and he said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Oh, my friends, that's who he came looking for. Why did you come to church today? If you and I come for any reason less to encounter God, then we definitely need a fresh touch from God in our lives. We need revival. Isaiah came and he, he came to the place of worship. He sought the person of worship. And, and, and then from, from his experience in the temple, he gained the perspective of worship. Worship gives us a new perspective, does it not? You see, the earthly throne on which King Uzziah had sat was now vacant, but heaven's throne was occupied. So he lifted his eyes up and he saw God is still on his throne. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. Life on planet earth might have seemed uncertain or unsure or unstable, but God was still God. And he still reigned from above. And he still reigned in the hearts of his children. My friends, that's an important part of how worship restores us. It lifts our eyes off our immediate situation and it gives us heaven's perspective on events. It gives us heaven's viewpoint of our circumstances. And our seemingly insurmountable problems are readily diminished when placed against the backdrop of an even bigger God. My friends, when our world is falling apart, we need to worship. We need to have a worshiping heart. Psalm 22, verse 3. It tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. I love that. Listen, we know God is everywhere. We understand that. We know that God indwells us through the presence of his Holy Spirit if we're two true born-again believers in Christ. But, but understand this, when God is praised, there is a special manifestation of his presence. There is a heightened awareness of the fact that he's always there. But sometimes we lose touch of that. But when we begin to praise God, we encounter him. His presence is manifested to us. God inhabits the praises of his people. Never forget that. But another rendering of that same verse, if you view it in different translations, says that God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Well, I like that too. Because what that says is when we get to 
when we begin to praise God, again, indeed, it does change our perspective because what happens, we dethrone self. We dethrone our ideas, our thoughts, our agendas, our feelings, our emotions. We dethrone that and we enthrone God. And God is on the throne of our hearts. And my, that changes everything. It does. It was designed to. So in a time of uncertainty, we've got to have a worshiping heart. But also, in a time of uncertainty, we need to have an honest heart. An honest heart. Look again in our text in verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Or I am undone, some translations say. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe to me, he said. Woe is a word of condemnation. It is a word of judgment. And so what's happening here, as he's come into the presence of a holy God, Isaiah has felt a sense of unworthiness. He has felt a sense of conviction over his own sin. 